Chapter 9 On a Tuesday in early October, Peter left the orphanage. The anxious leaves had turned in spite of the summer hanging on past its dew, and in the morning heat, Peter packed for the move to the Hickory household. To Finn, it seemed a thousand miles away. She met his departure in a fitful and somber mood, and nothing Peter said could alter it. I'll only be down the road. You can nearly see it from here. Finn didn't answer. They stood outside the orphan house as the sisters waited at the front gate to send him off. We've got plans, Finn. It won't be long. Well, why should we wait? I want to come with you. It's too soon. Mr. Hickory barely has room even for me. We have to wait. Finn wasn't consoled. Peter turned away and gathered the last of his belongings from the doorstep. When he turned again to face her with his pack slung across his shoulders and a bundle of tools and clothing in his hands, he was different. He was no longer just an orphan, no longer her constant companion. He was a man with a place in the world, with a skill, with a home waiting for him, even if it was only five minutes' walk through the gate. And he was leaving her behind, inside the walls, alone. Finn reached out and touched his arm. She wanted to embrace him and kiss him, but the sisters were watching. Though she would happily risk their scolding, she withheld herself to spare Peter. You're my way out, Peter, my only road. You know that. Peter moved closer and gave her his smile, as Sister Carmeline called out for him to come. I know it, Finn, and I'll be waiting, down at the end of the road. Sister Carmeline called out again, and he went. At the gate, Hilda and Carmeline hugged him and kissed his cheeks, and waved him off. Finn slunk into the shadow of the orphan house, and watched in silence, as he walked down the road and dwindled out of sight. In Peter's absence, Finn felt almost completely alone, and only Bartimaeus helped to fill the empty space in her days. He cheered her with his good humor, and they took any opportunity to slip away from the orphanage and to convene on the riverbank to play fiddle. Finn had quickly surpassed him in technical skill, but she never tired of hearing the complexity of his playing or the emotion he funneled into it. They learned from each other and often played deep into the night, sneaking back into the orphanage by moonlight to escape Hilda's attention. Peter stopped by for dinner often. The sisters were always happy to have him, and his visits were a relief to Finn. After dinner, they snuck out the gates to walk by the river until the sun went down. How long, Peter? It's easy for you. You don't have to deal with Hilda and all those kids. I'm going crazy. I don't know how long. Not yet. I've only just moved in. I can't ask them to take you in, too. Not yet, I can't. Be patient, Finn. Just trust me. The argument ended as they always did, with Finn stomping off mad. Often she claimed there was some girl in town that he was hiding, and Peter would be left dumbfounded. To Finn's daily dismay, Sister Hilda had started a new crusade to turn her into a proper woman. Hilda waggled her nose about wearing the proper clothes and speaking in turn and sitting up straight and holding her hands in her lap. But Finn was old enough now that threats and lectures bounced right off of her. Hilda's failure to encourage any noticeable transformation put her in a constant state of aggravation, and was a prime source of amusement for Finn. Late that November, Bartimaeus informed her that she'd be coming with him on his supply run to Savannah, and Finn was ecstatic. Sister Hilda quickly pointed out that Finn would be going exactly nowhere unless she was dressed properly. Finn could do nothing but agree and smolder. The next morning, Finn arrived at the dining hall in her only dress with a smile on her face. Bartimaeus raised one suspicious eyebrow at her quiet submission to Hilda's demands, but he didn't say anything. They loaded the bolts of silk they were to sell in town and mounted the wagon just as Sister Hilda arrived to inspect Finn. 
Good heavens, child, button that up. All the way to the top. Finn obeyed without a word. Now go inside and manage that hair. You're not going anywhere with that tangled mess. If you can't manage it, then tie it back and hide it with a bonnet, for goodness sake. Finn started to protest, but bit her tongue and ran off to do as she was told. After a few minutes, Finn came back with a bonnet on, trying her best to look like she belonged in it. Better. A fine woman you may make one day, Miss Button, if you just put your mind to it. Now, you two be careful, and I'll expect you back by sundown. Yes, ma'am, said Bartimaeus. You'll find bacon out for breakfast and a stew in the pot ready to warm up for lunch and dinner. Don't burn my galley down. Hilda frowned and waved them off. Bartimaeus snapped the reins, and the wagon lurched down the road into the rising sun. When they had passed the last house in town and gone around a bend in the road, Finn jumped up and cursed Bartimaeus's ears numb while she unbuttoned her dress in disgust. Underneath it, she was wearing her usual shirt and plain breeches. She threw the dress in the back of the wagon and plopped back down with a sigh of relief. Bartimaeus chuckled. You forgot the bonnet, he said quietly. Finn gave a little scream as she ripped it off her head and threw it behind her. She and Bartimaeus broke into laughter. Finn had never been further than walking distance from New Ebenezer, and Savannah was a new world for her. Over a hill from the west they came rolling, and the city spread out below like a picnic set upon a green blanket. The smells of salt and fish from the harbor met them on the wind, and they descended the hill into the city proper, where cobbled streets added the clack and rumble of hooves and wagon wheels to the clamor of the city's voices. Finn's wide eyes couldn't drink enough of all the color and commotion. Men in coats and black hats walked arm in arm with ladies under parasol shades. Shop windows filled with guns, porcelain dolls, fine clothes, china dishes, and ornate furniture lined the streets. Here and there a drunken sailor sang and swaggered into an alley, and everywhere wagons wheeled cargo from far and wide to fill the holds of waiting ships bound for business across the Atlantic or south to the Caribbean. It wasn't the city that stopped Finn's breath, though. It was the wide blue sea beyond. It rolled in blue-green swells to the horizon and was dotted everywhere with ships of all kinds, coming and going, all turning the wheels of commerce. The smell of fish and filth grew stronger the closer they got to the harbor. It nearly overwhelmed Finn, but Bartimaeus was breathing deep of it and smiling. He pulled the wagon up in front of the storehouse and jumped to the ground. Now, see here, missy, I got to go in and take care of business. Got to see what price this silk will bring. Don't rightly know how long I might be, so you go on, have a look around. But don't stray too far, and you come running back directly if there's any trouble. Finn nodded wildly and jumped out of the wagon. She took in the scene like a hungry man eats, sampling a bit of one thing, then moving quickly to taste another. It was all new and full of wonder. The sounds of the harbor, strange people, clothes, smells, even colors. Most of the buildings on the street were storehouses many with wagons in front loading goods in and out. She saw men unloading sacks of dry goods, bolts of fine cloth, piles of tobacco, and crates of exotic shipments from across the sea. She struck out southward, hoping to find her way to the seaside to glimpse it up close. At the first crossroads, however, a commotion up the side street drew her attention. There was a small crowd gathered and shouting in front of one of the buildings. She ran up to the next block to get a better look. As she drew close, the shouts became clearer. No justice! No peace! The men were chanting with their fists in the air. The target of the protest was a large building in front of them. It was an official-looking building with white pillars spread out across its face and high, arched windows girding its walls. Two British soldiers clad in red and white, with muskets at the order, guarded the double door. Farther down the street, a merchant shingle hung above an open door. 
Tan Di's Tavern, it read. Men were pouring out of the building and joining the crowd, raising the volume of its chant to a roar. No justice, no peace! The crowd's fervor grew in waves. The guards began to look nervous, and one of them turned and entered the building. He returned moments later with a British lieutenant and resumed his post. The lieutenant addressed the crowd. Stand down! Order will be kept here! The mob ignored him. If anything, his demand seemed to intensify the crowd's clamor. No justice, no peace! Finn didn't want to worry Bartimaeus, so she turned and ran back down the street. Bartimaeus, there's a protest! People are shouting! She said as she ran up out of breath. Bartimaeus was unloading the last of the silk bolts from the wagon. Protest, eh? What you say we find some news and see what the upset's all about? We're done here, got a good price, and the shippers say he'll bring him a boat upriver next month so we can load it from our own back door. How's that for good dealings? He winked at her and swung himself up into the wagon seat. Finn climbed in beside him. He snapped the reins and they headed up the street. When he turned the corner, the mob was blocking the road. The crowd had grown to several hundred people, all shouting in unison, No justice! No peace! You stay here, Missy. I'll see what I can learn. Don't you go nowhere, see here? He gave her a stern look and hopped out of the wagon. She watched him drift around the crowd, appraising people, until he settled on a target and approached him. They exchanged a few words, and Bartimaeus came back, looking worried. Man says the royal governor got some politician locked up in the jailhouse for talking independence. Folks ain't none too happy about it. A fancily dressed man in a white wig, an official of some sort, Bartimaeus surmised, came out and tried to calm the assemblage. But whatever words he said were lost in the din of the crowd, and he retreated back into the building. Four more British soldiers came out and posted themselves, flanking the door. Then there was a loud crash, followed by the high, bright sound of shattering glass. Men were throwing stones at the building, breaking the windows. We best get home, said Bartimaeus. The soldiers at the door shifted nervously in their boots as the crowd became more and more restless. Men began to hurl stones at the soldiers, and the chant intensified. The lieutenant came out onto the steps and shouted at the crowd again. The crowd answered with more anger. He turned his head and gave an order to the soldiers. They raised their muskets. They backed against the wall and took aim. The roar and zeal of the crowd didn't slacken at all. They pumped their fists in the air and more stones flew. No justice, no peace, they cried. A flash of fire and smoke exploded out of a musket. In the crowd, the chant turned to screaming. Boom, boom. Two more musket shots. The front of the building was obscured with smoke. Hya! cried Bartimaeus, and the wagon jumped to life as people scattered. Hya! Hya! He snapped the reins over and over again, urging the horses on as people fled. Boom! came the sound of another shot. Where the crowd had been, there were three men lying on the ground, wounded and crying for help. Through the clearing smoke, Finn saw two soldiers reloading as another fired his ball into the fleeing crowd. Boom! Then they were too far down the street to see. As the wagon rumbled out of town, Finn heard only screams and the echoing discharge of muskets. Bartimaeus drove the horses without mercy. Finn feared he might run them to death. His eyes were wide and wild, filled with rage, as if at any moment he might turn the wagon around and charge back to town to exact some desperate vengeance. He saw in those short murderous moments flashes of the man he had been and visions of what he might be driven to again, and so he drove the horses mad to escape his own fearful intent. Finn saw it all in his eyes, the turning back, the fear of what he might do, the war he fought to master himself, to keep standing up. She reached out her hand to comfort his unrest, half afraid he might snap at her like a rabid dog. But when she touched him, gently on the shoulder, she felt the fear subside, 
and she saw again the man she knew and loved. Bartimaeus pulled the horses up and stopped in the road. He breathed deeply with his head down. Finn put her arms around him. Damn them, he whispered. Damn them. They arrived back in Ebenezer just before nightfall. The courtyard was empty, and the voices from the dining hall told them dinner was afoot. They unhitched the horses, and Finn stabled them as Bartimaeus tended the wagon. I'll tell them, said Bartimaeus as they entered the dining hall to join the others. The room hushed. Sister Hilda knew with a look that something was wrong. Bartimaeus, what is it? she said. Protest in Savannah. Crowd gathered outside the jailhouse, and the English fired into them. Sister Hilda covered her mouth in horror, and gasps filled the room. At least three shot down that I saw. They were still shooting when we cleared out of town. Are you all right? said Sister Carmeline. Finia, are you hurt? We're fine. But who knows for how long? The Whigs won't stand for it. There'll be more killing for it's done. I'm going to warn Mr. Bolzius before trouble starts in town. Folks bound to find out soon. Bartimaeus hurried out the door. Finia, are you all right, child? said Carmeline as she hurried over and inspected Finn physically from head to toe. My lord, my lord! I'm all right, said Finn. Oh, thank the lord, child, said Carmeline, hugging her. Sister Hilda stood at a distance and appraised Finn as she might a sick horse. Get some food before it's cold, she ordered. She made no mention of Finn's change of clothing. The next day there were many comings and goings on the road outside the orphanage. Townsfolk often hurried into the courtyard to speak with the sisters, only to hurry out again moments later. The air was filled with tension, and all the children felt it. Finn couldn't stand having the story bottled up inside her, and was determined to see Peter and tell him all about it. He would be around to call on her after dinner, but she wasn't satisfied to wait. When lunch was over, she cleaned up as fast as she could and told Bartimaeus she'd be down at the river practicing fiddle. After a quick look to make sure Sister Hilda wasn't watching, she slipped out the gate and ran down the street to the edge of town toward Mr. Hickory's house. She only knew its whereabouts from Peter, but found it easily enough by the sawhorses and carpenter tools laying about. She snuck around to the back to see if she could spot Peter. He was eating lunch at a table with Mr. Hickory and his wife. Finn hid in the bushes and waited for him to look her way. Each time he looked up between bites, she waved to catch his attention. Finn had nearly decided he must be blind before he saw her at last. He nodded her way and she dove out of sight behind the bushes. A few minutes later, Peter casually walked into the tree line. What are you doing, Finn? It's dangerous to be out. Who knows if the British might be coming here next? I was there, Peter. I saw the whole thing. You were there? Me and Bartimaeus were in Savannah and we went to see what the protest was about. They just started shooting. Someone needs to show those damned redcoats that Georgia doesn't take to folks just up and shooting people. I think Bartimaeus might do something about it. He was really angry. What do you mean? What would he do? Oh, I don't know. When they started shooting, it was like he wanted to jump out of the wagon and go hurt someone. He didn't, but well, what if there's a war, Peter? Will you go? Peter looked startled. He had never considered the idea. What are you talking about? Go fight? I don't know, he said. Well, I would, said Finn. There needs to be a war. English have no right pushing us around. The colonies should go independent. I'd go fight, she said, half to Peter and half to herself. You're not going anywhere, Finn. She glared at him. And who are you to tell me where I'll go? British don't tell me what to do, and neither do you, Peter Lamy. I didn't mean it like that. I meant we've got plans here. I'm not going to mess that up by getting killed in some war, and I'm not going to let you either. Finn softened a bit. He wasn't trying to control her, just to protect her. What if we did something together, Pete? If there's a war, I mean. 
We could be like a team. I could dress like a boy and we could join the militia. Peter looked at her ensconce and gave an uneasy chuckle. You're mad, you know that? She wasn't kidding and Finn sensed it was unsettling him. She let it drop. Head back to the orphanage, Finn. It's not safe out here. Half the families in Ebenezer are moving out to the country. There'll be trouble in town. There's lots of folks loyal to England. Mr. Hickory says independence the way to go, but war ain't the way to do it. He says it'll come if we just settle down and let the good Lord do his work. I don't know. I do know I'd feel better if I knew you were safe back at the orphanage, where Sister Hilda can keep her eye on you. He said the last part with a teasing smile that brought him an insulted look from Finn. Don't worry, I'll come by tonight after dinner. All right, I'll see you then, she said and sprinted off toward the orphanage. Peter stared after her until she was out of sight. (laughs) 